Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. An attorney and accountant walk into a bar. I'm John. I'm the attorney. And my buddy here. I'm Kent, and I'm the accountant. All right, Kent. What are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about general AI. This is part two of an initial conversation we had about artificial intelligence and the rise of Skynet. I'm excited to talk about that because we got some interesting news this week. That's awesome. Let's get into it. some already groundbreaking news with AI in general, the release of, you know, the large language AI, ChatGPT, and all its subsequent predecessors. But as the curve or the rise of artificial intelligence, um, I think it's not taking a slope curve. It's almost logarithmic in its manner. And within less than a year of its release, we're, we're talking about things that we thought were only possible in the movies. So what have you heard? Well, I mean, it was pretty crazy this week, right? So we had all this drama with ChatGPT, OpenAI, and Sam Altman, which is you know the CEO of OpenAI, mm-hmm. being suddenly fired by the board, right? And, you know, I kind of followed it perfectly at first because I found it very interesting as an attorney because, you know, board fights and firing officers and, you know, we often get into that sort of thing mm-hmm. and advising our clients on that. So I was looking at it peripherally from that. But then when I started digging into, you know, this mystery, because the mystery was no one was saying why he was fired. Mm-hmm. And then when you started looking at it more, you started finding out, well, just the week before, there had been this news that some of the engineers at uh, OpenAI had written a letter to the board about a project called QSTAR, yeah. which they expressed concerns had potential threat to humanity. But isn't isn't ChatGPT just a language model and it basically writes your essays for you and creates business plans and or creates documents and all that stuff? The original conversation we had, John, was that it, it'll put writers out of business, it'll put a few other things out of business. What, what could possibly be the extension of ChatGPT that is the threat to humanity? Well, what's interesting, I mean, ChatGPT, when you look at it, it's really scary when you talk to it because it sounds like you're talking to a human. But once you get into it and you get into the engineering of it, you realize that what it's really doing is using a whole lot of computing power to predict the next word. So it, it does. It learns and learns and learns from all the information, all the writing, all the literature, and it kind of like creates these probabilistic models of what's the next word, and it, and that's created this situation where it looks like it's talking to you, or it writes really intelligent-looking things, but that's not thinking, that's not reasoning, and I think one of the the fascinating things I find about it is when you just give it math to do, mm-hmm. you know, math a, a third-grade child could do, it screws it up a lot. I see. So is that a difference between linear function and the ability to predict words, nouns, and adjectives in terms of its placement together? Because right. it does. it's able to create concepts. So if you say create a plan, write in this voice, it's able to create voices at the very least. Yeah, it has a lot of creativity to it and has a lot of creativity in art. But what it doesn't have is the ability to understand what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have the ability to predict things, you know, as in future events. Or, or and it create things that are new. 
or well or create things that are new that's arguable though with art and things like that but math has has been kind of beyond the grasp of the model mm-hmm. uh it would have to use a calculator yeah and another tool to do math um and planning has also been kind of out of its reach and reasoning and this the speculation is of course this is still you know Obviously, OpenAI is not talking about it because it's top secret. But speculation is that Q Star is had a breakthrough, and this is what Sam Alton was talking about just two weeks before his firing um, at a conference in China. He was talking about, "Hey, you know, I was in the room when we had this huge, earth-shattering breakthrough with AI. It was like, you know, we pushed forward the boundaries of knowledge and pulled back the veil of darkness, and and also just the name of it." Q star dates back to a paper from Stanford that was done with Google that talks about basically teaching uh, AI mm-hmm. the ability or giving it the ability to do math. Well, even if it's doing math on a third grade level, that's staggeringly a leap forward. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a order of magnitude leap forward in AI to making it human-like, which of course then the more human-like it becomes, then the more dangerous it becomes in accordance with all of the sci-fi type scenarios. So the danger, I think, it's funny, when people say danger, I think predictability for us as human nature is what we find as safety. Whether it's predictably bad or predictably good, that is an area of, of, of known that makes it safe for humans, so when you turn on the car, you hit the gas pedal, it goes forward, right? Mm-hmm. So there's me- there's mechanical safety, but also predictability safety in people's actions. I think when people are nervous or scared when they say that, my sense is that it's because then AI, with the ability to reason like a person, for example, their predictability is not necessarily there, which is the same reason sometimes we can be afraid of other human beings. They can be unpredictable. You don't necessarily know what their next action is going to take. That's why we have a lot of crazy things that happen in our society for certain individuals that we'll call it go rogue, right? And the idea is that it's not just a person going rogue because you can't, well, you can, but it is not socially acceptable to control people, (laughs) um, mind control and whatnot, right? We use different tactics to control populations through politics, through religion, things like that. But then if you're, I think what we're saying is AI becomes a new, essentially, a new species is born. Well, I mean, that's that's the big fear, right? But there's so many different scenarios where AI is detrimental to human beings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the obvious one is the Terminator scenario, right? <laughs> AI wakes up, you know, Terminator Matrix, and decides that human beings are the, the plague of the planet, and it's the cure, and it tries to wipe us out. Sure. Okay. That's pretty scary. Yeah. But that's the one everyone thinks of. I think there's a lot more subtle dangers to it. And, you know, the other one is that kind of the uh, iRobot scenario, right, where it decides that human beings need to be kept safe. Yeah. And that's its job, and I'm going to do so by basically imprisoning them. Yeah. Well, that's not good either. Right. So that's a scenario that I think doesn't get enough airplay these days. I think the actual danger or the one that that I think is the most frightening, because if you listen to the founders, Mm -hmm. if you listen to Sam Altman, you listen to what he says, 
and you listen to some of the investors that started OpenAI, they have this altruistic goal of taking away all of the pain and suffering from humanity, mm-hmm. making so that you won't have to work anymore, making it so that you won't have to slave away in the factory at these meaningless jobs where you know, you're know you replacing widgets on a, on a factory assembly line. They have this kind of um, you know, Marxist view of what it is to be a factory worker or sure. a worker, right? And they're going to take that all away. Well, you know, I think that is uh, actually more likely. And as we go down that road, there's a lot of, you know, people that have thought this through. And, you know, you see examples of it in, you know, television series like the old Star Trek or, you know, a lot of the early um, Isaac Asimov and and Ray Bradbury scenarios Mm -hmm. where, yeah, uh, machines create a utopia for mankind and then mankind loses its identity. So if you don't have anything to do, In more well, what's it going to be? Drugs and video games? Well, in Star <laughs> Trek, you explore new worlds. That's that's one, or new frontiers. But the way what came to mind for me are probably more mundane examples, like the Disney movie Wally, where you have a bunch of uh, humanoids that are strapped to their e- floating lazy boy chairs. Right. roaming the galaxy in this basically giant cruise ship um, waiting for their next meal or piece of entertainment. Uh, and that society has devolved. And at some point, they fell out of their chair and they don't know what to do. They're like babies on their back because everything's been done for them. And what if the AI or the robots aren't there to support them? They become uh, a dependency. I think both of those extremes is always somewhere in the middle because as you said, the factory worker, they're already robots that replace a lot of factory workers. But there's a lot of good reason why a lot of clients of ours even who are manufacturing still use people, right, to do certain tasks, very specific tasks. Now, the ability for these same robots to have reasoning could be really interesting, but like for an assembly line, they might be able to determine that the process of putting one part A and then part B and then part C, if you did part B and then C, then A, right, it would reason that that's faster in terms of timeline if that productivity is its goal. And that could be really helpful, I think, on the, on the flip side of that. I also think that it allows, technology allows the human experience to focus on things that it couldn't have. If you think about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, we're now going to be entering the tippy top where if we create a position in our in our in first world countries let's start with that right to be able to uh, to be worried about things that aren't day-to-day basics including feeding yourself you know um, clothing your family having a roof over your head some of the very basics that you need now the question then becomes in the first world countries what is the meaning of human fulfillment i think more existential questions will create humans to have that internal conversations, which they don't get to have because they don't have AI to supplement. There's entire industries throughout our history that have been supplanted by technology. And when we talk about invention of cars over the horse and buggy, or even in the, in the law industry, we had talked about you used to have rooms of typists typing up all the documents. And with the advent of the typewriter and the computer and things like that, that industry became obsolete. I think you gave me an example of whaling, right? Yeah, whaling's a great example because you know, a lot of people think that, well, we stopped whaling because we got really sad about killing whales. Well, think about when that was. Come on now. 
This is the, the turn of the cent- the turn yeah. of the last century. You know, the eighteenth, the eighteen hundreds, the nineteen hundreds. They weren't sad about killing whales. <laughs> they would have killed every last one of them if they'd had a chance. The reason whaling went out of business is the discovery of petroleum and how to distill it into various fuels because it was a hell of a lot cheaper. And the minute they were able to do that, whaling literally went out of business overnight. I mean, these little huge whaling towns on the East Coast just were gone. And you know about not just the whaling, but it's the collateral industries. Um, the same as you had talked about the horse and buggy, for example, right. that would move product from one destination to the next. Without that industry there, the, the transportation, the workers, the food, the housing, everything that's collateral around that industry, the infrastructure starts to fall. In America, you see that around old mining towns, for example, yeah. where they talked about the decay of Main Street and how collateral falls. So it's not just, in this case, when we talk about AI, and then we, the last time we had this conversation was about the white-collar profession, is not just the white-collar profession and, and, and the removal of the need for as much manpower. It is also the impact of the collateral support systems that support what we do right yeah uh, as as a business yep absolutely yeah i think one of the interesting and also rather frightening things about listening to some of the things that sam Alton had to say was mm-hmm. that he is very surprised by the results that he's gotten from his from chat gpt because when he first started the project he believed that he was trying to develop AI to replace the blue-collar worker, to try and replace the electrician, the plumber, the factory worker. That was his vision. And that creativity in professions and white-collar professions would not be impacted by AI for, for you know, decades, if not longer, if ever. Mm-hmm. So that was his exact words, I believe. And now he's like, wow, it's really cool, and it's kind of a shock to me that it's the opposite. So we're actually able to do things where we're doing writing and creative writing and creating you know, art and images and you know, replacing basically processes sure. and potentially replacing accountants and lawyers mm-hmm. and others that are in white-collar professions, and probably the blue-collar professions are actually the safest. So that's really interesting and really cool and, and, and kind of, you know, fun to think about but then also consider the fact that here's the guy who's sort of in charge of one of the big you know giants and creating this stuff and he is surprised at what it did oh my (laughs) well (laughs) what other surprises does it have in store (laughs) well I, i mean throughout history there's a lot of times people develop technologies and they aren't really sure of how that impacts society or their audience actually there's a corollary to that, I was in um, at a lecture one time, and somebody from Honda came over, and they they did, they created a vehicle called the Honda Element. A lot of folks lovingly call it the toaster box because it's it looks like a little like a moving toaster, and they geared it towards the um, age group of folks who are recently retired, and they didn't want to ride a full RV. And they like to travel around the country with this nice boxy car that allows them to carry all this stuff, and it was fuel efficient. And then we hit the market, that was not their primary buyer. It was young folks reutilizing that car, and it really hit with an audience they didn't even think about or consider or even advertise to. 
um, in the game. So there's there's things that people don't understand from human consideration, but I think that there wasn't a lot of, we'll call it, public testing, right? When you, they would do with movies, they, they, they show it to some folks ahead of time just to see what they think. There probably wasn't a lot of that because of the level of secrecy around the need of, of the technology. But if they asked you and I, and we knew what it was going to do, I think quickly we would say, oh yeah, there's a lot of, oh, yeah. you know, um, thinking or strategic white collar professions that are no longer going to be a need. But again, throughout history, we see that. We see that, you know, not that many years ago when I was coming up, brokerage houses were big. Having rooms and rooms full of brokers in order to place the trade to buy five shares of Microsoft, you needed to call your broker, right? Set up a brokerage account and that person would, you know, boiler room you and, and, and convince you you had these, uh, these things you needed to buy. And so Leonardo DiCaprio, Wolf of Wall Street was premised around something similar to that. But guess what? Now with online TD Ameritrade, I go trade that sucker myself. Do I trade better than the broker? Probably not. Do I trade worse? Eh, maybe not. I knew some brokers. They weren't that great. Um, but the idea behind it is that that entire profession whittled down. Uh, and you still need to, at the higher echelons, have financial advisory. So I don't think financial advisory didn't go away. It was the mechanical nature of needing to call an individual to make some X happen. I think that barrier has been taken down. And that white-collar job, which was a white-collar job too, dissipated in the marketplace. And what happens is folks went into other technologies and beyond that point, the rise of Google post Netscape, they entered into different fields. So I think that in the future, as if to affect our industry, yours and mine, there probably will be less people that get in, go into law, potentially. And those that do will have to be specialized or go into accounting. Yeah, have I, to be th specialized. I, think, I think that's true. Um, there was a video I saw I don't know, I was flipping through the shorts or whatever, and it was a podcast where the guys basically were making the point that, you know, attorneys and accountants are going to be out of business in 10 years. There won't be a single one of them left. And the reason is because any job that has a process, uh, AI is going to, going to be really good at it, replace it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that they're right to some extent, but, you know, this kind of hyperbolous notion that, oh, uh, everyone's going to be gone. Well, to your point, not everyone's going to be gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, people still have horse ranches and they still raise horses. Yeah. It's not like it goes away 100%. But I think it's even less so when it comes to professions like law and accounting. For one thing, um, not so sure the judges are going to accept AI in the courtroom as arguing points right? Not so sure that AI is going to get a license to practice law. Right. Uh, for one thing, I'm pretty sure the state bar is not going to let that happen. <laughs> and that comes probably, that video comes from a perspective of someone who's not an attorney. I'm so sure. they assume that attorney and accountants are all process oriented. And more so in my field, in accounting, people right. think we're all process oriented. There's a lot of times when I talk to potential new clients and they're like, Ken, it's just, you throw the numbers on the page and you submit it to the IRS. What's so hard, right? Yeah, what am I paying for? There's components to it that are process-oriented and rote. I agree that at that level, so um, word out to the sole proprietors of the world that perform simple 1040 tasks or businesses, not unlike H&R Block right. or Jackson Hewitt, that are doing very simple returns, that people can scan their documents. General AI at some point could review, understand what it's about, 
reason what should be on a um, filled out form process and get that completed and sent out to the IRS. I don't doubt that that is in the near future. But what people who aren't in our actual industry don't understand is the level of nuance strategy that we uh, that we have to determine for our clients to help them develop a strategy that evolves. So we start with one strategy. How many times have we started with a client with a dual strategy? And then there's nuances that are both social right, and political that we need to integrate into decision-making processes and have it be staged so know that we have one set of circumstances we create a strategy or process around, right, and we execute. But depending on the factors that we don't control, which is third parties, and how they act and react, we convert or divert that strategy to achieve the ultimate goal. I think that at that level, general AI will have some capacity, but not the same capacity that a, call it, a sophisticated attorney or an accountant has. Well, to be honest, though, that's what they're shooting for with general AI is to have someone who thinks mm -hmm. as well, if not better, sure. than a human being. And then in, in addition to that, has access to all the information of the world. So imagine some someone or something as intelligent as yourself, but your brain's plugged into the entire internet and has instantaneous access to everything. Well, that's a pretty scary thought. All that being said, I still don't see attorneys and accountants just being replaced because of just cultural reasons mm -hmm. and also because i mean i know both the the cpa organization and the state bar are protectionist organizations you know the whole idea you know there's all this notion of you know oh you know we're protecting the consumer no they're protecting their job mm -hmm. i mean look at the state of california you can't be an out-of-state attorney and come in here with your license they just won't let you yeah you know what are the, why is that? Well, they're protecting the profession. They're protecting right. their business. And they're going to continue to do that. And unless, you know, Congress p passes a law doing it with the bar and allows us AI can, you know, argue cases in the courtroom. So, yeah, process. Okay, you need a basic LLC. Can AI do that for you? I'm sure it could do it now. Sure. I'm sure you could go to chat GPT, and if you wrote the right prompt, it can write you an L a, a LLC agreement, and who does that put out of business? Me? No. LegalZoom? Yeah. Yeah. H&R Block for you? Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't doesn't do a thing or, or, from doesn't do a thing to me. TurboTax is on the chopping block as well. Sure. You know, I I think that what are the benefits though? I think the benefits for someone like you and I with the boutique practice is that it allows us to leverage technology to, uh, to have greater horsepower. Because imagine if we had our own Jarvis, right? right? We talked about this. We have our own Jarvis of the firm, and then we have the human, all of human history and knowledge and actual strategy behind it. We can use that as a consultation basis and allow us to create strategies, augmenting it, augmenting our ability to create strategies to create more power behind it create more history and create more color and create more diverse ideas that previously other firms had to hire armies of attorneys to develop. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for sure you know, it's going to need to be a lot less attorneys. Yeah. But that's already happened. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, COVID did a number on that. I mean, as you know, our firm's been looking to hire uh, an associate attorney for seems like a year, and we can't find anybody. And so contrast that to when I came out of law school and most of my buddies were lucky to be working at a PI firm getting three grand a month. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really was the reality. So, if, you know, I was lucky because I was in, you know, top 5% of my class um, and others like me, we had things to do right out of school. But if you were like bottom half, bottom 70%, you were looking at three grand a month. Wow. $3,000 a month after spending $100,000 to go to law school. This is, you know, 1996. Yeah. Because there was a glut. There was too many lawyers. Now we're looking at too few. So hopefully... That should continue, and if that does continue, I think we'll end up weeding things out and not like having this, you know, massive unemployment scenario. I think that it's we call it a, uh, a labor shift in accounting. We get to see this too, and I think we'll see a lot more of it. And in the last conversation we had, I mentioned PwC and their investment into uh, OpenAI right. and their, their direct and a open intention. Billion dollars. Yeah, um, hundreds of millions. It was a billion. Is, it, is that it what it turned out? billion. Wow. And so that type of investment, that volume of investment indicates that, especially in an area where it's people-heavy. Right now, uh, public accounting firms are very people-heavy in the, in the audit area where we need a lot of bodies on site. There's physical inventory checks. There's a lot of things that need to be done that are process-oriented, right? Process-oriented, again, that require people. And I think the investment in AI will start to significantly whittle down the actual need for that human capital and improve the efficiency. And I think that's actually good for our industry. I'm not saying that there, we need less accountants, but I think that a lot of what I did in terms of getting my audit hours were so rote. I was like, don't we have a machine that does this already? And even in the tax area, we don't have a good, at least that I know of, a good process or machine scanning ability of the wild west of K1s and the white paper detail on a K1. If you don't know that after, if you've ever received a K-1, there's a section, section in the bottom, like the XYZ section. It says C footnote. But guess what? That footnote doesn't actually have to be that uniform. The white paper detail could say all kinds of gibberish at the back. And a lot of different practices in terms of what they list on the back of that K-1. And there's not a really good way to scan that into the software like a W-2 form that allows you to put things in the boxes you need to. But AI will probably be able to solve that very quickly. And guess what? There are folks at um, a firm I used to be associated with, Deloitte, where we had rows of people on the East Coast. Their job was to review and input K-1s. Even when I went into private, there are people whose jobs only were to review and input K-1s. And that would be really awesome to have that human capital allocated to a higher and better use. And, well, it might cause a lot of homelessness as well, but well, just so you know, Kent, I, I do get K-1s, and I never, ever look at them. So if you put fancy footnotes in there, I'm supposed to read them. I, I never do. So. Well, you just hand that to your CPA. Well, I guess that's for the IRS, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause that's true. I don't do it. <laughs> that's true. So where do we go from here with AI? You know, because there's a distinction. I mentioned AI, but then there's general AI. And the difference between the two, I think, is one has reasoning. Right. Right. And well, general AI is the scary AI, and, and I think that's really, we had a clue this, this week that that might be on the horizon, 
and we saw a, a fight with a board of directors mm -hmm. and a CEO, and we saw the CEO win, and now he's a Teflon CEO in my view. And I pray to God that the man's got his head screwed on straight because if there is a danger to humanity from this and he plows forward blindly with all the power that he has now, mm -hmm. uh, I hope it doesn't go badly. If I were to give advice to any kind of uh, accountants or even any professional, I think they shouldn't avoid the understanding of AI. I think a pro being proactive in understanding its capabilities, not saying, oh, it's not jumping on the bandwagon like you're trying to set up a new TikTok account. This has profound impact to our society. And I think uh, uh, both from a personal and professional level. And I think it, I would really urge everyone who doesn't have an understanding of it to gain a level of understanding of AI and how that might impact their daily life. And it would be really important so they're not behind the ball because I think part of this will create a larger socioeconomic divide. In order to mitigate that wave, it's important to have a level of understanding of what's on the horizon. I agree. And if you're yeah. a student right now mm -hmm. and you're thinking about your career path and you're thinking about what your education should be, if you take this into consideration, you'll do well. Mm -hmm. If you don't, uh, you might be looking at a breadline. Wow. Well, this feels like, John, there's going to be a part three and more of this because the evolution of AI is logarithmic, as I said in the beginning. So where we stand today, not far from our initial conversation, there's been massive changes in the capabilities of artificial intelligence. I think as we go along, we ourselves need to track it and love to share this with our audience, anyone that's listening with us, to join us in this conversation. And if you have any questions, comments, we'd love to hear from all of you. We really appreciate everyone that's listening. Um, if you do, definitely leave us in the comments. Email us at podcast.taxis.com. Uh, interact with us. Tell us what you think, your experiences with AI and your thoughts and feelings. We take all those into account. We want to hear what people are thinking so we know we're not living in our own box. So like, subscribe, talk to us. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, guys.